Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. <laughs> Today we are talking Deep Roots, the second book in the Innsmouth Legacy by Ruthanna Emrys. Uh, this series of novels is a follow-up to her short story, The Litany of Earth. Uh, that was a, originally featured on Tor.com and mm -hmm. in Scott Jones's anthology, Cthulhu Sapa. Why does that sound familiar? Uh, probably because we did, I think, almost an entire episode just on this single story when we were yeah, we, that anthology. We, uh, Link will be in the like, description. Like four episodes on that. That was back in the day when we thought we could take our time and do stuff slowly. Right. <laughs> but no, there's so many books and so little time. <laughs> Speaking of which, let's jump right into it. Um, first off, I feel like I'm kind of at a disadvantage because we, I, well, I didn't read uh, Winter Tide, which was the first book in the series. I so, did. So we're jumping into the series kind of in the middle. I did, and and I think she does a fairly decent job of catching you up without getting bogged down. Mm -hmm. Um, there's, I guess, there are a few pertinent points from Winter Tide that need that you need to be reminded of that impact on the plot of this book. Um, the 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 summoning that went wrong mm -hmm. is the main one. Who who. Who a lot of these characters are, I don't remember a lot of them. Yeah, they, they actually, um, aside from uh, Charlie, right? His last name apparently is Day, which is great. I, I, I'm wondering if it's a nod to "It's Always Sunny," but I doubt it. <laughs> well, I mean, given the the couple of other nods in there, you, it's quite possible. That's true. Uh, so Charlie is from uh, Litany of Earth. He was the bookstore owner. Mm -hmm. uh, Spectre was he was the, the government spook, right? And uh, obviously, um, Afra, Afra, thank you, was from that as well. Um, and I think that and and maybe uh, Neko, but I can't remember if Neko was actually a named character or not in that. Mm. Right. <clears throat> uh, what we have basically is a group of. Lovecraftian misfits. Um, Afra Marsh of the famous Marsh family, being the main protagonist, um, is a Deep One hybrid. Uh, the eldest on land. Yeah, one of the only two. <laughs> right. So far. And she yeah. is trying to uh, search the country for any residents of Innsmouth or anyone with of Innsmouth descent spread out across the United States. Right. To, I guess to catch you up, if you haven't read Litany of Earth, which is a fantastic short story, you should go out and read it. Mm -hmm, which you should really, uh, you really should. Um, so after the raid on Innsmouth, the the survivors of Innsmouth were taken to uh, internment camps. Right after after the the city was raised and um, studied by the government, uh, which is which is canon, mm -hmm. 
And so she kind of picks it up from there where during their internment, um, the Japanese were also interred in their camps because their population was dwindling because they were experimented on and studied. Right. Dissected and cut up just like, like, like the federal government would do right. with any type of technically non-human species to be discovered. Right. So, um, that's where litany, that's kind of like the background of litany of earth. And, um, she, in that story, she kind of rediscovers her, um, her religious roots of her community. Um, Ianism, Ionism, Ianism, however you want Ianism. Um, which is, which is the deep one version of, uh, Lovecraftian, of Yogg's authority. Right, right. So just to catch you up. Now, one thing that you, if you're not familiar with Litany of Earth or any of the other books in the series, one thing that you have to know, uh, well, two things, is one, Ruthanna turns the entire Lovecraftian canon a little bit on its head by featuring the other point of view. Right. It's the, uh, it's really, that's the thing that pops out the most from all three pieces. But um, and she really digs into it in this one mm. is that um, the as far as Innsmouth goes, and as far as um, the Yith go, and now the Migo go, um, Lovecraft was kind of right, but he was right from an outsider's perspective, right? An extremely and, narrow view, right? Which you know, which given Lovecraft's um, proclivities. Yeah. Proclivities? Yeah, is is fairly accurate, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, So this this is kind of uh, taking that, like you said, and turning it on its head, um, where you have, it's not necessarily from the monster's point of view, uh, but it is like the inside look of the culture of... um, of deep ones mm-hmm. and uh, Migo in this one. And right. uh, one of the main themes of this, this book is um, cl- clannishness, um, tribalism mm-hmm. and, and making assumptions about outsiders. So it, she, she really doesn't, uh, I guess, accuse Lovecraft, which, um, has happened right. uh, she merely says that well you know lovecraft's point of view is is extremely narrow um right. and there are other points of view which can also be extremely narrow mm-hmm. um so it, it's one of those situations where everyone's right everyone's wrong and it all depends on your point of view um to to get your perspective Right. But whereas whereas in something like Lovecraft and those who try to follow more, I, I don't want to use the word more purely in his footsteps because, you know, I, I really don't think that's the case. But those those people who try to copy um, the theme of Lovecraft and his, you know, that encapsulates the xenophobia and whatnot, 
um, we start on a backdrop. And even though we encounter some narrow points of view from the characters in this book, it's a more, I would say, a more human way to view things that they start from. They start from a more open perspective. And the journey into the unknown or the discovery of how the universe really is for these characters isn't mind-shattering or sanity-shattering. It's just, uh, in some cases, just a little awkward. Well, it can change you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, it does. The big, in, the big instances of, of I, guess, I guess you would call it sanity loss or whatever is Mary. Who um, who botched a summoning spell, and in it, this is in Wintertide, but it's alluded to a lot in this book. Um, and as a punishment for almost bringing certain death and destruction upon um, Arkham, uh, the a Yith who who was there cut away portions of her mind to make sure she could never do it again. Right, right. She basically renders her illiterate. Yeah, so she she's unable to process symbols, right? So but, she can't read or write. But probably, but probably in the most most horrific aspect of that punishment, she she's rendered illiterate, but she has complete knowledge that she's been rendered illiterate. Right. She knows she used to be able to read and understand these symbols and these signs, and perform these workings. And that is a big source of tension, right? Uh, because that she was lied to by the the allies of the Yith, who are the protagonist team mm-hmm. in this book, right? And you you pretty much you have two teams. You have a bunch of FBI agents who are uh, to use a role playing equivalent or or television equivalent or the equivalent of uh, a Delta Green team possibly or men in black or right there, there's uh, x-files something like there's that there's certainly government spooks and right. their job is to protect the united states interests above all else so right. all, their assumptions are negative about anything that is ultra right um they're suspicious of everyone and everything and in their suspicion they are easily duped quite so quite so but I will say, I will say, in terms of character, though, Ron Spector is a one of the coolest character names. Well, Ron Spector is actually not Team A. He is not mm-hmm. Team Spook. He is actually uh, Team Afra. Right. <laughs> but he's forced we, to work. Do we have nicknames for these? Yeah. Well, he's team forced Afra to work. With... <laughs> he's forced to work with the. Well, he's an FBI agent, mm-hmm. um, but he has evolve beyond his his assumptions right right um, from his and, association with with afra and the rest of the the irregulars as they call them right kind of right. like it, the government you're right afra is the main character and she is the de facto leader of this team right. but to the united states government ron specter is the leader of this team right and they're like his, his, his um, Baker Street boys, or yeah, that's like they like. call they call um, them Spectres or regulars. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny, um, right? 
a title a title they accept just because it helps get things done right there, there's definitely a lot of of uh wringing hands and frustration on the assumption of the white men <laughs> in this book <laughs> and there's definitely a lot of yeah okay i'm just gonna sit there and grit my teeth because uh the bigger picture is more important than my pride well on this on the surface there it is an interesting kind of delineation between the two groups of heroes in this book is that you have the fbi pretty much represented by straight white people and you have everyone else represented uh, there's, a, there's a question as to whether mary is straight i think mary is kind of um but right she's, she's kind of she's kind of on, on the border right she's she's a little bit different but by and large particularly the men of the fbi uh are inspector certainly is not straight specter is uh, is closeted mm -hmm. as you would be in 1949 yes even even in a, a fantasy world Right. Now this this book is more fantasy than it is horror. Uh, at times, I was reading it, I was reminded of uh, Robert Chambers' Slayer of Souls. Yeah, it's got it's got elements of horror, mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely a lot more uh, urban fantasy, right. I guess, than right. horror. I, I I didn't find that the the scary moments were you know, particularly frightening to me. Right, but then exactly. Right. I, th um, I think a lot one of, of the one of the things that I had mentioned in or from Litany of Earth is that I kind of am more comfortable in this particular version of the Lovecraft universe than most everybody else's. Simply because it just feels more normal. Right. Um yeah, it's funny because a, a lot of the um the scarier parts um are predicated on you knowing Lovecraft, mm -hmm. um, and she doesn't play it. She doesn't play a lot of for, for scares, but I guess if you if you're familiar with the source material, then you could uh, you know you, there's tension. I guess tension would be a, a more apt word as opposed to being scared. Right. Like, right. I want to go to the mine. You know, it's it's tense because you and I have read the Whis Whisper in Darkness. Mm -hmm. And we know what the Amigo are capable of. And she plays with that because, I mean, that's what you're, you're supposed to make those assumptions. And then she is going to slowly strip away those assumptions. And it's compounded because your assumptions about Migo are also right. the assumptions that Afra and her and the elders have. Right. About Migo. Right. Um, you also have. It seems to me there's a little bit of uh, it reminded me of a time to harvest. It, yeah, there was there was there was kind of like almost almost like the this book and time to harvest operate within the same kind of universe. Kind of, but a time to harvest was had was definitely more um, sinister, right? You know. So the basic plot here is uh, just so you know what we're talking about. Uh, without giving too much away, the Migo um, have realized that humanity is at a crossroads. It's 1949. The bomb has been dropped. Uh, the Cold War is starting to to get really 
chilly. Right. And <laughs> and we're we're already seeing the first the first tides of the red scare. Right. So we are at a point where um, they're afraid that humanity will snuff itself out. And they are trying to figure out the best way to uh, help uh, preserve the human race. Right. And there's two factions within the Migo, and we're not going to get too much into that because that's part of the enjoyment of reading it. Right. Um, but it, the, just mentioning that and having like these, these, groups cease to be these monolithic um, entities. Just the fact that there's factions within the Migo, yeah, it makes sense that there would be. Um, mm. But you don't really think of it that way. So in, in a way, she is she totally humanizes um, these monstrosities from Lovecraft and Elia. Um, just for the sheer fact that you have like shades of Migo. Right. Shades of Migo outer ones because apparently Migo is a derogatory yeah, term. Migo is a derogatory term. That's awesome. That's awesome. Like there's ghouls, the ghouls show up. Mm-hmm. All sorts of things. Uh the the mad people from underneath the earth. Yeah. We have a representative there. Uh the Yith are talked about throughout the book. Well the, yeah, Yith, the Migo. In Wintertide, um the professor Trumbull? Trumbull was um, displaced by Amigo. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Yes, sorry, my fault. Now you can... I have to turn in my Lovecraft badge. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's, you know... There's there's so much going on here. I You know, I'm surprised that there wasn't a joke included in this book with people not being able to keep every, all these different factions straight well this it's cool because the uh the the fbi guys gave the the different migo um americanized names mm-hmm. fred and one and was Kevin. like and they called him fred and the other was like Kur, Kur, and they called him kevin <laughs> confirmed they didn't fuck it i'm gonna call him kevin <laughs> which is what i would do <laughs> Frank and Kevin. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's funny, I joke, but it, it is um, it is what a lot of people would do, and it is, I guess they're a little bit more evolved, but it does kind of remind you of the, uh, like, the Americanizing of names when people got to Ellis Island. Mm-hmm. Well, not just the Americanizing of names when they got to Ellis Island. You have uh, folks from India and Pakistan who um, often take Americanized or American names or, or European style names just so, you know, you can pronounce them a little bit better, you know, so it makes you a little more comfortable. Right. And the, the great thing about the Migo is, you know, they're like, just call us whatever you want. And if you can't tell us apart, just ask. Yeah. They don't care. (laughs) Yeah. We don't (laughs) care. (laughs) Uh, we do care about being called Migo, though, so don't don't call yeah, it that. <laughs> that's right. You can call me anything, just don't call me late for dinner or Migo. Now, there's, you know, we have the plot going. Factions, we have the plot with the two factions of Migo um, going going on throughout the entire book. 
gears. This book shifts gears a good bit. And, uh, you know, at first... There was a cat behind Jesus. Yeah, apparently. Psycho cat. Uh, shifts gears a lot. It starts off, it starts off as, you know, jumping in at a point where it's like, okay, you know, this is, you know, going to be kind of the same story as... Uh, litany of earth and then it progresses into oh well okay it's going to be an urban fantasy detective story and then it progresses even more like oh wait a minute it's an episode of doctor who <laughs> it does or, or have star a lot. trek it, uh, yeah, it, that it type of it does have a lot of those elements in it um which actually is you know i guess that might not be for everyone but it kind of reminded me of um, some of the stories in uh, Lovecraft Country mm -hmm. um, where, you know, she was taking her her cues from more than just Lovecraft. Right. Um, you know, just like a lot of like trying to like draw from a lot of different pulp um, genres. Yeah. yeah. And, and that and, and the book is so much better for it. Uh, the, the shifting of the gears, the almost fluidity of the situation, uh, as it turns out through through Rosanna's narration or Afra's narration, rather, um, really kind of turns into just makes it makes it flow so much better. My only complaint about the flow of the book is the uh interspersed sections of journal entries from some of the minor characters right they don't end very well the the where, where they end isn't delineated very well i thought right um so i mean they're in up. italics and that's pretty much yeah and often they're they're not interspersed in such a way where that there's the beginning of every chapter or the end of every chapter Sometimes you'll have a journal entry in the middle of a chapter or right. in between scenes. And sometimes you get insight into what's going on in these characters' heads because there's so many characters. There are. I mean, there's there's the three FBI characters, mm -hmm. right, The three on that team. Then there's Afra, um, the, the, the partner. Audrey, Afra, Joe. Uh, Charlie, Caleb, Caleb, DD, DD. You know, she's got she's got a serious Call of Cthulhu party going on there. Yeah, I mean, she's got also of, has special skills. She's got a lot of people, right? And everyone has like has delineated roles, mm -hmm. um, for for things that they can get done and things that um help with the plot. Right, like Dee Dee's a spy and a linguist. Yeah, you know, Caleb is the other eldest. He's he's also a Marsh, I believe. Right? Yeah, well, he he's uh, Afra's brother, okay. younger brother, and he's also a little um, high struck. He's moody. He's, he's the yeah. One. Right, right. He's the oh, let's fight him. I would say though one of my favorite supporting characters is probably Obed. Obed Marsh. Yeah, Obed Marsh. Or, uh, yeah, I, just, I, I love. love <laughs> right. I don't. He has like right, his has child a, name. 
He has like a yeah. uh, you know his name. He has his child name, which is Obed Marsh, which is weird because you think of Obed Marsh from you know the uh, Shadow Over Innsmouth as like a crafty, crusty old fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she right. does. She she does. Speaking of which, she does take a little bit of liberty with the source material. Mm-hmm. Um, and she might, she might, and I can't remember address this in winter tide, but it, I read it last year and I, you know, I can't remember a lot of like huge details of it. Um, but the conceit here is that after the raid on its mouth and the subsequent imprisoning of uh, the children that, Afra and Caleb are the only two um, offspring that are left alive on land. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, according to the book, there's an island in the South Pacific somewhere that Marsh went to where he made the deal with um, with the Deep Ones originally right. mm-hmm. or learned to make the deal with the Deep Ones originally. Uh, so that's not here in this book. It's not mentioned Right. Um, and it is mentioned that uh, the old town of breeding was Innsmouth in England. Mm-hmm. And after persecution, they came to America and brought everything with them. Right. Which is definitely not Lovecraftian canon. Right. But you also you also have and that's kind of I guess that's a running theme as well. Because, you know, you have Ensmith needing to be rebuilt every so many years. Periodically, that the, the society is moving. Right. So, but, but this time it's really dire. I mean, before it was, you know, they just took everybody and trucked off to, to America and founded, you know, picked out a plot of land and founded their place that would be out of the way. Right. Now um, we're talking about the survival of the species. Yeah, now there's only two um, breeding pair, breeding capable people left, and their brother and sister. So they're looking. It starts off where they're they're looking for other uh, people. They call them uh, misblooded, mm-hmm. who have any amount of of um, deep one background in their genealogy. Right. They and pretty much. All they have to go on at this point in history is, you know, who are, who in whatever town has the Innsmouth look. Right. And yeah, more or less, that's what they're doing. They're they're They uh, have to deal with some unsavory people. Mm-hmm. Um, not like back alley uh, phrenologists or anything, but um, like, you know, professors of 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 uh, biology and whatnot. Doctors. Are, yeah. Who, who view these traits as abnormalities. So they, they record them because they are abnormal, like you would with Down syndrome or, mm-hmm. or um, you know, Tay-Sachs or something. Right, right. And we do run into uh, a medical doctor who is just absolutely fascinated with, with this special deformity. Yeah, this, it's a great scene because like there's this guy who everything comes coming out of his mouth is super offensive, mm-hmm. but he's trying really hard not to be offensive because you know he's really interested. Um, he just 
he just doesn't um, get that he's dehum dehumanizing people with his right. science. Right. He, he he has no idea what what the truth of the matter is or the fact of the matter. He's treating it as though these are normal human beings with some sort of mysterious uh, deformity that uh, I wanted to try to figure out. Right. I want to get my name put on it. Yeah. Very much a Wesley Young character. <laughs> Except he knows what he's doing. <laughs> He's not like faking his way through doctoring, but right. But all of the characters they have their own their own fantastic interplay, and and you know these certain characters pair off, and you have sub factions even within the irregulars. Um, but Afra has this talent of just bringing d diverse people together. She's almost kind of a weirdness magnet herself. Right, she's kind of like Naruto. Yeah, kind of, kind of. Um, and not necessarily, she doesn't sit there and just like delegate things like you would suspect most leaders would. Uh, she more lets uh, these people are drawn to her and her mission. And as circumstances permit, their special talents kind of are emergent. Right. Um, you know, we, oh, I've never encountered this language before. And then someone just steps up and goes, I have. <laughs> Things like yeah, that. I have that skill. Yes, but it's it, but it's not like, it doesn't come off as arbitrary like that. Right. It's it doesn't come off as arbitrary. It doesn't come off as an random. organic thing. Um, mm -hmm. when, when, when somebody steps up with their skill out of nowhere. Right, because, because you know, oh well, she's a professor of physics and mathematics, so she might be able to do that. That's believable, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, she's a head in a jar from a race that can that can alter reality by thinking. So, yeah, okay, that's believable. It's a believable talent that she may have. Right, <laughs> right. That's probably one of the most tense scenes in the book. Um, and I really, you know, it's really difficult because. You can't spoil a lot of the action of the book because it it comes in fits and spurts. Um, we have we have a, a you know a tense scene that moves the plot along, and then all of the characters kind of navel gaze over what they've learned, and you you kind of work through what's happening in the book as the characters work through it. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, and being you know, just sitting behind um, Afra's eyes at any given time in the story is is a really interesting place to be because you're not only is she trying to correlate the contents um, of her own mind, but she's also trying she's also scrambling to identify and hold on to her own identity. Right. She's definitely it's 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 a cool little thing that um ruthanna has her doing mm -hmm. where um she is her worldview is expanding um and she is trying to incorporate that into who she believes she is without losing herself um it's mm -hmm. very very much um the plight of a lot of immigrant populations and individuals right. within, within immigrant 
populations. She's trying to balance who she's expected to be because she has all of these expectations thrust on her, not only from the elders of the deep ones, but you know, in terms of the federal government, you know, they, well, they know they're, they're aware of who she is. They're aware of the deep ones, you know, but as eldest on land, you know, you must be some type of go between, between us and, and your people. And I think the same expectation comes from the elders is not only are you the go between, between us and the humans or the, the air breathers, children. Yeah, so just so you know, deep ones are, are, classified as humans in this um right water water people of the water people of the air and then audrey is from people of the earth to the mad ones right um which is which is interesting because then you have the amigo who are kind of you know you all look alike to us <laughs> they they don't really i mean they and I, it, it said it said a lot in in terms of their perspective on history because of you know their longevity, their ability to travel you know vast distances in the cosmos in you know moments that they have an entire perspective on what makes an individual or what makes a tribe of people. Right. They're familiar with all of these concepts, but they don't really care. They are very. Um, yeah, it's like, it, 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 it's unusual yeah. because the Migo themselves are more, more or less a hive mind of sorts, but a lot of their rhetoric is very individualist. It's a it's hive mind by consensus, though, as opposed mm -hmm. to like a true hive mind. There's no um, like one thing giving right. the orders, and everything else snaps to obey. It's it's not like like um like the buggers and and Orson Scott Card where you have there's no, like, there's um, no mother you have like that that queen and whatever the queen says the rest of everything ends up doing they're like one organism like mm -hmm. like a, like a regular um, you know beehive or whatever they're they're kind of an Athenian democracy of sorts <laughs> I guess yeah they are. Without the fighting, it's funny well, because there's a, a lot of threat of violence in this, and there's not really a lot of violence. Which is, it's. I've read some online comments about this book, and how um, it is certainly it it you know takes cosmic horror and and you know tries to normalize it. Blah 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 blah. But honestly, if you read Lovecraft, there's not a lot of like violence happening. No, Lovecraft. Um, there's a lot of of fainting, right? <laughs> but there's there's not a lot of like gunplay or you know it's there, right? Right. Well, it's Lovecraft, not Bobby Howard, right? And and it's. To me, this reads very well like a weird tale, you know, an updated weird tale, mm. uh, but of of uh, Lovecraftian vein. I mean, just the the only difference is the the perspective isn't one of xenophobia; it's one of coming from a place of 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 insularism, insularity, 
and opening your mind um, when confronted with things beyond your your general knowledge mm -hmm. instead of uh, closing off. Right, which I think right. Is, is, is a lot of what Lovecraft is about, with the exception of Innsmouth, because obviously at the end of Innsmouth, the protagonist um, learns that he is a hybrid himself and, and goes to rescue his brother. And the last thing you assume is he's going to go break his uh, mad cousin out of out of the insane asylum and go to Innsmouth and dive into the sea. Mm -hmm. And then he turns up in Weird Company. <laughs> Which is which is also a, another interesting thing going on because you have this entire Innsmouth legacy series uh, coming out directly out of Shadow over Innsmouth, mm -hmm. and you have uh, Pete Rollick's Weird Company, uh, which also pretty much spawns directly off of the Shadow over Innsmouth, and they they are very uh, they're they're parallel tales to be certain. Uh, you have a, a group of diverse individuals uh, who get thrown into a plot to potentially save the world or destroy it if they really cock things up. It, it's weird because the menace in this is a lot le more low-key. Even though the stakes are high, it seems mm. like it's a lot low, more low-key than anything immediate. Um, right. And I don't want to give away like the different factions and what what they're what the that would portend for humanity, but it definitely is a lot more um, like if if they fail, humanity is doomed in a slow burn. Oh yeah, definitely. definitely. <laughs> There's like it's it's kind of like a thinly veiled secret what's what's going on behind the scenes here um you know the the events uh that compromise the climax of the book really are, are they they're happening in secret but they're also kind of happening right out in the open it's just that it's new york city and nobody can nobody's paying attention yeah um, sure. You know, which which kind of has that 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 vibe from Men in Black, where you know New York is the perfect place right. to hide. It's uh, it's definitely got that that kind of like yeah, secret government organization that everybody it, knows about. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it definitely this could be like you know, had things gone a little bit differently, it could have been a Delta Green operation. Mm -hmm. And it probably would have turned out exactly like a Delta Green operation. <laughs> the Great New York Fire of 1949. <laughs> but I think I think the um I think the comparison to Doctor Who is rather apt uh since most of the time, you know, that character comes across very similar situations, functions in a very similar way. He's He's an alien. He's known to the to the government of 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 England and later on the United States. And he does pretty much the same thing. He he goes around kinda in secret and deals with these these alien threats to the earth. 
Yeah, uh, probably I mean, more so in the uh, the third Doctor's appearance where he's stuck on Earth dealing with working with unit. So that is definitely a possibility. Um, she definitely puts some some cool references, I guess, in in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, designed specifically for me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Born so, on a Monday, married on a Tuesday. Yeah, she drops uh, Solomon Grundy and Alan Scott, Green Lantern, in there, and the Gray Lensman, mm-hmm. which are the precursors to the Green Lanterns, anyway. Right, right. So, uh, Rosanna Emerus is a Green Lantern fan, which is pretty cool. Right, right. Is is that confirmed that she's a Green Lantern fan? I'm going to assume since she, like, I mean, Solomon Grundy. I mean, you got to be pretty. You got to be pretty good Green Lantern fan to re- to even reference Alan Scott. Well, first. well, to to have to know that Solomon Grundy originally was a Green Lantern villain and not a Justice League villain, because or a Batman villain. Yeah, um, that's pretty deep. So right, I'm going to assume. Deep. I'm assuming she's a Green Lantern fan. Hmm. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. And and Alan Scott's Green Lantern, you know, not only fits in with the time period. You know, this is golden age of comics. Uh, so, you know, a lot of your particular favorite incarnations of heroes, these are also the days of uh, Jay Garrick. Yeah, Jay Garrick, Alan Scott. You know, the Justice, Justice Society. Society. Our Man. Dr. Um, Fate. Dr. Fate. One of my favorite characters. I didn't get a Dr. Fate reference. Sorry. But then the third one. <laughs> if I if I read about if I read the third book and I see a Dr. Fate reference, I hopefully that's for me. <laughs> well, she she is a Marylander. Yes. And I'm a Marylander too by immigration. And I'm a Marylander by of. birth. But well, no. By just growing up, I'm, I'm originally from Connecticut. I'm from New Haven, but I lived in Maryland for like everything. So sorry. <laughs> I consider myself a Baltimore on <laughs> and a mass hole and a mass hole, just like the greatest combination of all time. Just like just like Afro Marsh is a she's Innsmouth. She's a deep one. She's an American. She is. She says it. She says she's an American. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but overall, this is a an excellent book. Uh, you should go out and pick up a copy of it as soon as you can. Um, I would recommend going back and reading The Litany of Earth and Winter Tide. Winter Tide. Um, if you are in my area, if you're a mass hole, and you go to Pandemonium Books and Games, they have autographed copies there. Oh, Oh, I, sadly, I don't go out in public, so I have no idea where you can buy books anymore. <laughs> That's right. So I don't you probably could get it at pretty much any bookstore, but Pandemonium has autographed copies. That's right. If you want an autographed copy, I will say that uh, one of the most embarrassing moments of my life was at Necronomicon last year. When oh, yeah? 
well, it was at um, it was at the the reading for for um, a breath from the sky. Yes, not Cthulhu Sapphire, okay. but a breath from the sky. And Ruthanna Emrys was there, and I was in the middle of reading Winter Tide, and I walked up to her just to say how much I liked her book, and um, I couldn't remember my own fucking name. Which never happens to me. So, yeah, I got starstruck. You got starstruck. Nice. But, you know, what? it's, it's good to happen sometimes. It's good yeah. to happen sometimes. Um, yeah. Uh, one of the main things I remember from from that was uh, Peter Straub needs his fucking water. <laughs> and that was, that, was a, that was a joke in the back room for... Uh, shoot, at least a good half an hour. <laughs> anytime, anytime water was brought up. Don't forget Peter Straub's water. Good times. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was probably one of the, one of the most fun things to happen was was being there at the A Breath from the Sky. Yeah, that was good, good, good reading. Mm-hmm. But that's enough about that. <laughs> yeah, I just thought I'd bring it up because. Um... That's your that in, your the, encounter with greatness. My brush with fame and, and apparently your brush with fame, out. flaming yeah. out in the face of fame. Almost rubbed el- elbows with Ruth Anna, and uh, and you're stuck with me. Sorry. Right. <laughs> so yep, uh, deep roots, the Ensmith legacy, book number two. Pick it up wherever you can read it uh i'm gonna say that this has got to go on our list of uh necessary reads for 2018 oh yeah i think i actually think it's one of uh, the best books i've read this year mm. definitely definitely and we'll see you guys next time around and until then keep 30 keep luck points 30 luck points